I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co, I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down where we're going. This week on Conversations of Inspiration, I'm speaking to Roger Wade, founder of Box Park. Roger founded his first business, Box Fresh, in 1989, where he sold American streetwear from his market store, growing to become a business that sold internationally, turning over £20 million a year. Learning everything he needed to know about running a successful business, Roger sold it and went on to found his latest venture, Box Park. Known as the world's first pop-up mall, Box Park is a shopping site made up of shipping containers, offering independents a much more affordable and flexible retail space. Opening now in three venues, Shoreditch the original, but now Croydon and Wembley, Box Park is a place to eat, shop, drink and now have a community experience. I met Roger at Wembley, where I got a wonderful tour of Box Park, eating a delicious lunch and sitting down for the most inspiring of conversations. We spoke about the death of the high street, his passion for independence and how retail is in dire need to be disrupted and how he's doing that through his visionary concept, being a force for good to bring together communities and make them thrive, make them safer and happier. It's a conversation that certainly empowered me to do as much as I can to help. And I hope you feel the same. Hi, Roger. What a pleasure it is to finally meet you here in Wembley, your latest box park venture. You were recommended as a guest on this podcast by Bill's founder, Bill Collison, and I'm so pleased he did. Like me, you describe yourself as a creative entrepreneur and our missions are so incredibly aligned. You're a fierce champion of the independents and you want to bring colour to the high street through them. I'm a huge fan of Box Park. I went to the Shoreditch one earlier this year for my son's birthday. I remember we had the most amazing freak shakes. I mean, he loved it. My hips didn't love it. From a company called Soft Serve Society. And I got to visit one of my favourite stationers, Papersmiths too. So it was just a wonderful day out. And just congratulations for just being a visionary. Well, well, thank you for inviting us to chat today. You know, it's, oh. it's also a pleasure to meet you. Obviously, know from know you from you're not on the high street sort of days, and it's been fantastic what you've achieved for younger businesses or smaller businesses, oh. but not on the high street. Thank you, thank you. So let's go straight in. I'd love to go back to the beginning and hear about your journey before Box Park. I read that you were fired from three jobs. That's true. Yeah, I, I guess I was your sort of classic Catholic mum sort of child. 
And then my mum wanted me to become a doctor, so I, I studied sciences, sort of maths, chemistry and biology, at a, at a good Catholic boys' school. And I, I think I did one day of work experience at Guy's Hospital when I was wiping a geriatrics bum and he was sort of being quite sort of rude towards me. And I went home that night and said, Mum, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to become a doctor, this is it. So I ended up sort of, sort of falling into a degree, which was environmental studies, which I... I, I was meant to study at Sussex University, but the reality was I spent most of my time sort of running clubs and running events at Sussex University. And after coming out of university, I realised for definite I didn't want to follow a career in, in the sciences. Probably that was the last place I wanted to be in a chemistry <laughs> lab or anything like that. And I've, I thought that, look, I'll go into advertising. That sounds like a great career. So my first three jobs in advertising I got sacked with within the probation period and my last job I was actually working in New York I was working as a I guess a junior copywriter and they hadn't teamed me up with an art director so I had a lot of spare time in this office and I had a phone and my friends were ringing me up while I was ringing them to chat to them and go can you send us over some American sportswear we love all this stuff so I'd go down to the sort of wholesalers in um mid-Manhattan and the Korean wholesalers and I'd pick up American collegiate wear and I'd send it back to my friend and and my friend was then starting to sell it on a market store and lo and behold I got sacked from that job so when I got back to 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 the UK and my family lived in Greenwich at the time I sort of came to the conclusion if I don't employ myself no one's going to employ me and the only thing that I really loved at the time was I was really into fashion I was really into music I was it was the beginning of a whole sort of rave movement at that time and, and I just sort of started from a market store, literally selling American sportswear and then myself and my partner bumped into um, a couple of designers, Olaf and Sue Denny, and they were graphic designers, textile designers mm -hmm. and they came up with the idea of why don't we create a brand and we, we started our first brand, Box Fresh. We built it from a market store over 18 years to an international selling brand. I think we're selling in over a dozen countries, building up the turnover to something like 20 million. And then I sold it to Pentland Brands, who I guess are renowned for owning, owning Reebok and now own JD Sports, or majority shareholder in JD Sports. And yeah, that was my journey of becoming an entrepreneur. It was driven from being unemployable, I guess. And, <laughs> And just being really inquisitive. I, you know, when I was in these agencies, I was never at my desk because I'd be around the agency trying to figure out what the creative would be doing or what the media buying would be doing or what the account manager would be doing. And my boss would be like, where's Roger? You know, he was, I was just inquisitive, always been very inquisitive. And from that, your experience of building your first business box fresh, and as you said, it was like a 20 year span of time, you must have learnt so many lessons from that that you apply to business today. All the fundamental lessons of business, I think I learned in those first sort of five years really. And something that's always lived with me since day one is, and I, I remember sort of meeting somebody quite early on in my box fresh days, who was a guy called Ted De Cruz, who was a, a big brand consultant for a company called uh, Wolf Holland, quite famous brand consultancy and he, he said to me and this is going back like 25 years really early on in my career he said if you're not special to your customer you will not exist and that just stuck with me that was just mm. something that somebody 
said to me and from that moment that just changed my life really that I always lived by that mantra of like if you're not special to the customer you don't exist so I've always been a very sort of customer focused person I'm a a great believer that there's lots of people out there that are very good bean counters but that you should trust your emotions and I don't think we really trust our sort of emotional intelligence sometime and uh, I think some of the things that from my days of running Box Fresh you know in the latter days we would maybe make a thousand products a year and you, you have to trust your your senses you have to trust your own judgment and so I didn't look at spreadsheets to decide whether that was a good jacket or not or that was a good t-shirt I trusted my emotions and that's I think that's not encouraged enough in businesses mm. nowadays I think we're sort of we like to sort of overanalyze everything in business and don't trust our feelings don't trust the feeling of trying to create a special place for a customer or a special product for the customer or what the customer's thinking and that's always been probably the the one thing that's driven my entrepreneurial career i think it's very interesting because in this day and age when everything can be analyzed do you know what i mean so we're really efficient with our time now with technology and we can even look at our own analytics on instagram you know how many people are they male female you know data was a fantastic liberator when it came through but now in a way what's happened is that instinct has to take a sort of back seat yeah. or you have people in the organization where because the numbers or the data tells you one thing that the instinct must listen to that and that's not the other way around and I think the point is is the specialness you know I say it's unexcellable that's yeah. one of my lines I yeah. can't excel this for you you want to have the magic formula it's called the life force or something yeah. this is you're unable to necessarily pinpoint exactly what it is just as much as you know this skew sold a thousand compared to this that sold two yeah I think I think there's, there's, there's always going to be a room I mean even going back to the box fresh days and it's amazing how many lessons I've learned from being involved in fashion wholesaling and retailing that I'm still applying now to, to retail developments and of course we would analyze data of course, of course we would, and I'm not saying we, we would look at bestsellers yeah, of course you know, and, and me too yeah and and, and clearly we, 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 we do analyze data here but at the same time we also create new stuff yeah and, and, and maybe what we don't allow is that the data to, to actually stop you from being creative, mm. really. And the people that inspire me in, in my lifetime have been people like Steve Jobs because they had the bravery to define the future. Mm -hmm. They didn't look at the past. Mm -hmm. They actually said, no, the future can look mm -hmm. like this. I mean, when Steve Jobs was starting to use sort of... Um, trying to imagine a sort of graf graphical interface he didn't have anyone else to copy mm -hmm. and in the, in the same way you know when I was doing fashion it was almost an unwritten rule never to copy mm -hmm. anyone because that was like you know that was sacrilegious mm -hmm. you had to build up your own brand authenticity mm -hmm. well I've applied that maybe in the world of mm -hmm. retail development mm -hmm. forget mm -hmm. about what's happening at the moment mm -hmm. I've sort of come to what was relatively a sleepy industry and said look let's let's try and I hate to use the word let's try and disrupt this mm -hmm. industry let's try and create a change in this industry let's try and create new things and I've done that largely through trusting my yeah 
emotional intelligence yeah. through trusting my feelings. And if you don't do that, you don't create new things. And I also think looking backwards and looking at data or looking at, you know, of course, you know, commercially, you use your numbers to power what you believe and what yeah. you know to be true. But the new, the future doesn't come out of that past. It can, it can obviously you absorb it, but that's why everything becomes grey and vanilla. Yeah. And so that's what I also see is people rely on their data for too, too long, where suddenly it's not magical anymore. It's just a version of the past of version else, of yeah. something else. Yeah. Tell me, you sold Box Fresh in, in 2005 and you then went on to create your own brand consultancy called Brands Incorporated. Can I ask you though, tell me what it was like selling your business as many of the entrepreneurs that I've spoken to on this podcast have quelt have really felt quite a sense of loss after they exit their business but it's often something that they don't talk about and I want to try and share everyone's experience of building business and that that's also the other bit which is sometimes selling a business did you experience emotions like that or was this a happy time for you I experienced the exact reversed emotions I, I experienced a sense of relief I think the problem is in business, I think you've got to analyse the reason you go into business. And I think that I, I've, I really pinpoint it down to three reasons that you should set up a business. There's probably more, but I, I could only come up with three. And when I initially set up Box Park or Box Fresh, I think it was I set it up for a, a sense to define me. You know, it was really ego driven that maybe I was quite a young, insecure you know, young person, and suddenly I was really good at something, and that sort of defined me as a person. And I think if you look at some of the great entrepreneurs out there, they're dr driven by a deep-rooted insecurity. Certainly Steve Jobs, maybe, with the, the fact he was adopted. Maybe Richard Branson, in terms of uh, going to public school and maybe not being the richest kid in public school, and he had to really try and make money. You know, you're, you're driven by an insecurity and, and that maybe largely drove me to sort of develop sort of box fresh. And I think you've got to be careful. That's great for a while. But you've got to be careful if you're just setting up a business to define yourself as a person. And, and it's about ego. And I think the other reason that you, you set up a business, and there's lots of people that do it, is they set up a business to hand it on to their family. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, a, mm -hmm. that's an admirable decision. In, in my case, I don't think my kids want me to hand on a, a business to them. I think they want me to hand on some money to them. So, you know, I don't <laughs> think that's, that's the issue. So I'm not really looking to set up a business for my kids because I think they want to have their own futures, you know. And then finally, you set up a business to, to, to make money. You know, you set up a business to, to sell a business. And... It, it was weird in my first business, Box Fresh, it took me 18 years to realize I was in business to sell a business. And actually the business didn't define me as a person. The business was one entity mm -hmm. and I had to grow separately as, a sec as my own person. And maybe that business was holding me back from that personal growth. Mm. And that's really, really important. Mm. So mm. The, the emotion that I had was relief, was mm. one of, I felt enlivened by it. I just felt, right, here it is. You know, now I've got a new opportunity. I can grow as a person. I mean, I love listening to Chris Evans in the morning. What a brave decision to go away from having the, the, the number one show on radio, on Radio 2, to go and set up at Virgin Music. But I totally understood the reason yes. why I did it. Yes. And it was about growing. Yeah. And if you're not growing, you're dying. 
And so I think that selling a business is an opportunity to reinvent yourself and you should constantly reinvent yourself. That's very interesting. It is, it's incredibly true and I've never actually heard anyone articulate that growing your business and you know a lot of people listening are growing their small businesses and I talk about how you know allow it to be part of you if you're not looking to sell it if that isn't what you know and it's your business forevermore you don't want to retire from it but actually at some points in time if it's not working there's a negative effect if it's so close to you and it's not working or it is dragging you down or it is clipping your wings or all those sorts of things it has a reverse effect on you yeah and you know the contrary to that is it could be working you know, if for those people that are listening that run businesses out there, as a person that sold a business that advised other businesses like Superdry on, on selling businesses, you know, the, the greatest tip that I could give them is sell your business on the way up, not on the way down. Yes. So it doesn't need to be that there's some negativity happening around yeah, your business. Yeah, yeah. It could just be literally just embrace the fact you set up a business to sell yeah, it. Yeah. And yeah. you know, our current tax system really encourages that with, you know, entrepreneurs relief, which is effectively you're only gonna pay ten percent tax on the sale of your business up to ten million pounds. So yeah, yeah, so really embrace that culture. And seeing as you seem to love brand by setting up your own consultancy and helping people with theirs, I bet you have something to say about the whole brand thing. Tell me what you feel is makes a strong brand. What are the things, what's that golden thread that you've just seen throughout time? Really, when you sort of really pull back the essence of a brand, I, you know, I, I think it goes back to the, the early words that was, that was said to me by Ted, which was, you know, if you're not special to your customer, you, you don't exist. And you've got to, I think actually a brand is about an emotional connection with a customer, isn't it? And yeah. it's, it's something that, 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 that triggers something off in them that makes them feel better about themselves. So let's take a brand at the moment that's particularly hot. Let's take Supreme, okay? I mean, any, anyone that's got a teenage child out there will know Supreme because they've been pestered to, to spend money on Supreme. But Supreme is a premium streetwear brand, which you would arguably say now is probably a, a, a more renowned than any other designer brand. So I think they recently did some huge um, designer collaborations. I think they did one with Louis Vuitton recently. and It was a, a massive sellout, you know. It was weird. I used to sell to James Jebbia, the owner of Supreme, and he had a tiny little store in New York, literally the size of this room, about 150 square foot. It's absolutely tiny. But they, they had a really simple thought about their brand, which was, and they learned, and James learned this from the Stussy days, which was always make demand greater than supply. You know, the accountants never ever say that to us, do they? You no, know, they're no. always saying to us, oh, whatever happens, do not run out of yes, stock. Yes. But actually, yes. emotionally, the idea yes. that you, I've got to buy this product here and now, and if I don't buy it, you know, it will sell yeah. out. It's such a great emotional pull, yeah. isn't it? You know, it's about the Maslow basic human needs that you've got. You've got to, you know, you've got to feel special. You've got to have an emotional attachment to, to, to that customer. And I think successful brands really do that. You know, being a brand doesn't mean that you have to overcharge. That's, people have got mm. that so wrong. You know, let's take a, a, an incredible brand, a brand like Ikea. 
you know, mm. that came along to the market, that completely reinvented the concept of, of furniture, that furniture that's affordable for everybody. That's a fantastic brand. It doesn't mean it's about high price. Don't, let's not understand that concept. But you have to understand. Mm. And something like IKEA, you, you'd say, you know, the fondest of memories, you know, everyone's first flat. It was because IKEA allowed them to live, you know, in a way that they would never be able to afford because they had a whole dinner service and maybe eight chairs, not, you know, or four chairs rather than two and all these sorts of things. And it is incredible. I call it emotional commerce. Uh, and, and it's so interesting to hear you say that because I think a lot of people miss this point completely. They just fly by it. You know, if and when we're looking at the amount of time that we are allowing ourselves to be involved in brands, you know, from um, our normal way of absorbing media is decreasing so significantly. You know, the future, as I always say, is if that heart starts pumping faster because of a brand, if it's making you think because a brand stands for something, yeah. it's just going to be what I believe is the future and then why we're maybe seeing so many things die out because that is not at their core. But going back to you founded Box Park in 2010, nearly 10 years ago now, it's the world's first pop-up mall which consists of pop-up shipping container units turned into shops, bars, street food stores for independents to lease as well as bigger brands it's completely genius completely new disruptive I don't like that word so much either but disruptive to retail and I really believe that this might be you know the start of the future of changing our communities and the high street where did the idea come from and and did you have a light bulb moment I did have a light bulb moment it, it tends to be not a light bulb moment it tends to be Wakening up in the, the middle of the night for some really weird reason. I do my best thinking when I'm asleep. It must, it must be saying something <laughs> about the state of my brain. So, um, but you know, where did it come from? And it, it's, you know, Steve Jobs famously sort of coined the phrase about connecting up the dots of your life and mm -hmm. and understanding the dots of your your life. And a lot of the time, those dots are not dots. They're you know they're drops. You know they're 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 major moments in which you've had failure. And what I've recognised now in my entrepreneurial career is that some of those failures have led to some of my greatest successes and learning to embrace those failures. So if I connect up my own personal dots, it sort of goes back to Box Fresh days that when I was, I was wholesaling Box, Box Fresh and we were selling mainly to independent sort of retailers and then we could increasingly see less and less independent retailers to sell to. But I, I, I was at a time living in, in sort of Brighton and we had a thriving independent community mm -hmm. with the lanes and everything. And, and it just went back to the fundamental concept that, you know, no matter what happens, you know, and I reiterate, the customer wants to feel special. They, you know, in this, we, we talk about this internet age and we talk about it that we're going to create, you know, a homogenous customer. You know, we're going to create an Amazon customer. We're going to sit around this dinner table. We're not going to talk to each other. We're going to have our iPads out over dinner and a, you know, a... Sort of Black Mirror sort of scenario. Yeah, yeah? and then a drone <laughs> is going to deliver our food. Well, I, you know, if that happens, slip my wrist. I believe in an alternative future. Yeah. I believe that actually what the internet is, is doing is creating more information and it's actually creating more segmentation amongst the marketplace. And as a result of that, there's going to be an increasing need for... for for, for more brands and people that are focused on individual areas. 
So when I was looking at Box Fresh and I was seeing the death of the high streets, I'm going to come full circle and connect up those dots. I just felt that no, the customer wants to feel different. It needs to feel different. When I have my 12-year-old son that's buying second-hand Supreme for double the price because that makes him feel better about himself. That mm. says to me there's a need for brands out there. There's a yeah. need for a place for brands. So my starting point for the beginning of Box Park was I wanted to create a home for independence. Mm -hmm. And I just happened to be in Shoreditch at the time and I happened to come across that site and I thought that was a perfect location. But like all best laid plans, it's sometimes not what you meant it to be, but almost the afterthought, which was we, as an afterthought, I went, well, I've also got a first floor. Well, everyone sticks food and drink on the first floor. Let me put that on the first floor. So what happened is we, we launched for the Olympics in 20, well, we launched in 2011. All the big sort of independent brands sort of joined us. So we had brands like Nike, which people don't realize is probably the largest independent brand out there. By that, I mean it sells to independents. So mm -hmm. it sends, sells to tens of thousands of independents throughout the world. And they all joined us, like Nike, North Face, Oakley, Diesel, you know, all these brands that you would see in Selfridges. But then after the, the Olympics, they sort of left us. And then we had to sort of rebuild it again. And we then went back to really having a strategy of small independence, to having pop-up stores, you know, that you could lease for one week, one month, 12 mm. months, that we had to really create mm. footfall. So as a result of that, we had to do things like Wi-Fi email data capture. So we knew what people were coming up to Box Park and signing up to their Wi-Fi. We had to develop social media teams because we really wanted to create footfall. And, and actually, Box Park then really grew from that moment on, on. It was from that failure. It was from originally starting to becoming a home for independent brands that actually, when they all left us, it was the best thing that ever happened to us because mm. it forced us to mm. develop great social media, forced us to do great events, forced us to get more independence, forced us to have more flexible leases. And then later on, it wasn't the, the independent street fashion brands or sports brands that was taking off it was the independent street food brands that mm. took off and we just went with that and we just created box park croydon which was our first food and drink only development which was again largely based from connecting the dots of my life i loved i started off a market store yeah. so i went to yeah. recreate yeah common garden market a 21st century version of common garden market I have a very exciting announcement to make. The Congregation of Inspiration is back for its second year and tickets are now live. After its huge success in 2018, the Congregation of Inspiration, in partnership with NatWest, has been badged the UK's most creative business conference. I'm so honoured. Providing advice and inspiration for those running a business or for those dreaming of starting one. We're working hard to create an utterly inspirational day, jam-packed with incredible speakers and entertainment, life-changing advice from myself and esteemed guests, but also a chance to shop, eat and drink. And believe me, it's set again to be an Instagrammable extravaganza. 
But most importantly, it's going to be a chance for you to connect with your community, meet new friends, find your tribe. And I just cannot wait to take your questions, mingle with you all and have a tipple or two at the end of the day. So no matter whether you're an entrepreneur already on the path or a dreamer hoping to quit the nine to five to do what you love, the Congregation of Inspiration is one of the most important days to be part of. If you'd like to come to the Congregation of Inspiration 2019, tickets are now available at holly.co. I look forward to seeing you there. Each week on Conversations of Inspiration, we're running a competition with our partner NatWest, where if you are a small business or independent, you are in with a chance to win this very ad break coming up. A free advert to showcase your business to hundreds of thousands of listeners, thanks to NatWest's generosity. This week's winner is Olive and Berry. Over to you. Hi, I'm Natalie, the owner of the new boutique pet interior brand, Olive and Berry. Our porcelain products have superpowers. Do you have a four-legged friend and are you fascinated by design, colours, fabrics and home decor? Me too. But I really struggled to find pet interior that matched. If this is you, you might want to hear more. Inspired by this problem and my two cheeky black labs, Olive and Berry was born. All our quality products have a beneficial, unique feature and they look fabulous in your home. We're not a charity, but I'm passionate about doing my bit. I'm a big believer that dogs increase your happiness and give you a purpose in life. So I'm on a mission to prove this. Dogs don't discriminate and people matter. So profits from every order help the homeless. Shop now at oliveandberry.co.uk or follow us on Instagram at oliveandberryuk to find out more. Let's stop walking past. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses can tell and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website, holly.co. What have you got to lose? Get recording. I can't wait to have a listen. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. built your first box in Shoreditch but you initially made it out 60 recycled shipping containers correct over two floors with 40 in this lower floor and 20 in the upper floor where did that shipping container idea come from it's again connecting the dots of my life emotional intelligence when I started on a market store I and I was wholesaling box fresh I I always wanted to get to a day that I could have ship my goods in a shipping container. That, for me, defined <laughs> success. Yes. So I had this sort of weird obsession of a shipping <laughs> container. And then everyone that worked for me that, from the Box Fresh days, when I used to go to Hong Kong, we by then, you know, sort of, I guess, 10 years later, we're making out of Hong Kong. There used to be a shipping container port there. And I just really loved the industrial language of yeah. a shipping container. Yeah. And really sort of Box Fresh, when we, we, when we started Box Fresh, we were one of the original streetwear brands and, and it was almost like a, the antithesis of, of designer wear. I remember going to Jones and feeling 
you know, I, sh I didn't belong there on Floral Street. And I, street fashion was all about looking around and what was happening in the streets and the kids of the streets reinterpreting what fashion was about. And so for that, for me, was yeah. maybe it really had a strong yeah. attraction. Yeah. So containers for me was it defined success. Yeah. And I just had a love of that industrial design language. And then I just looked at it and went, well, they can, sh they can ship goods all over the world in a shipping container. Why can't we sell from it? And there was a certain irony about it. Because yeah. shipping containers actually, you can get me on the subject of shipping containers, but shipping <laughs> containers changed the way we do trade. Yes. And how ironic it yes. is. It wasn't just about the way we do trade. It actually... Finally, you're actually now selling from chipping containers. I love it. I love you know, it. And that if, was, if, that if was you were Box Park Shoreditch. That would be your specialist. That's my chosen subject. Chosen you know? subject, yeah. wouldn't it? Shipping, shipping containers. Shipping containers, you know, high cube, <laughs> the, low cube. This year to this year of yeah. shipping containers. Yeah. How they're invented. <laughs> yeah. What was retail landscape like at that time? Um, and Shoreditch too? Because it must have been very different to what it is today. Yeah, I mean, to be frank, you're not that. You know, you know, there was there was prostitutes on commercial roads, so you know it wasn't the the shortage that we see today. You know, going back in sort of 2011, yes, you know, at that time, you know, So House had just come there, Shoreditch House, and you know, I think that was a fundamental game changer for Shoreditch. But you know, we, we were in Shoreditch back in sort of 2006, so five years before that, and there was there was only a few places. There was sort of the Blue Note was there. You know, Charlotte Street was sort of just happening. Yeah. There was certainly, you know, not Shoreditch House there, but I could see it changing. And what happened was that suddenly a lot of sort of designer industries came in there because they were attracted by the low rent. And then suddenly it just started exploding. And I could see that, you know, that Shoreditch was changing as a place and they needed to have, you know, retailers that reflected their needs there. And they mm -hmm. wanted to have independent mm -hmm. brands. These were the, the cool kids were hanging out there and they didn't want to go and shop on a high street. They wanted to go and shop in independent stores. So I just went, well, that's a perfect mix to me. I'm going to create yeah. a whole high street for them. So Gosh, you're talking about my sort of specialist subject <laughs> if I had one. So I'm just loving this. As I said at my start, but, you know, my mission with Holly & Co is to sort of help champion independence and people with dreams. And also one of my missions is to help get people back onto the high street. You know, 15 years ago when that light bulb moment happened for myself with Not On The High Street, it was from seeing these independent makers and artists struggling to be on the high street being kicked off I think I had five Starbucks on one stretch of road business rates were skyrocketing and simply couldn't compete with the big boys all their income was going on to these rents these long leases landlords shafting them I mean I wanted to try and house these independents and help them to make revenue so that they didn't have to worry about those types of things and concentrate on the creativity and what they were creating and hence the online marketplace was um, created. But 15 years later, the high street needs the independence magic more than ever. You've created something that's potentially reviving retail, high street, community. Tell me about this. Tell me about your viewpoint on the situation that we're dealing with out there. The future of the high street? The future of the high street, but also future the future for potentially small to be involved in that. Yeah. I mean, in the same way that not on the high street was really championing an online marketplace, we've actually tried to champion it almost like a physical marketplace with, with Box Park Shoreditch. And, 
let's just bring it back to retail and let's really examine what retail is about and I think that we try to make retail really complex and I I actually think there's three sort of core pillars of retail I, I think firstly it's all about content okay and you've got to create this special content that connects with a customer we talked about that mm-hmm. and and if you don't have great content you won't exist and the next thing is you've got to create great traffic to that content that's what not in high street does for you mm. We were then trying to create physical traffic mm-hmm. for our customers in terms of getting people into stores by bringing them together. And then finally, it's about conversion, isn't it? It's about mm-hmm. once you've got this fantastic product, once you've created this traffic, it's then about converting it. So when I look at the high streets now today, you know, my first question is, what is your content like? Is your content fantastic? Is it relevant? If you look at you know, the death of retail parks, you know, well, that, that's totally understandable. You know, retail parks were historically all about convenience, weren't they? They mm-hmm. were about, okay, I'm gonna go to a retail park, I'm gonna go to Toys R Us, I can park my car outside and get this big box toy for my kid and that'll keep things happy at home mm-hmm. and it's all sorted. But guess what? We've got something new now, which is a lot more convenient, or well, it's not new, but we've got the internet. Mm-hmm. That's your convenience. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, businesses mm-hmm. like Toys R Us are not special to their customer mm-hmm. anymore. You've got situations like Debenhams. You know, Debenhams, to be frank with you, I felt should have gone into administration or reinvented itself 10 years oh, ago. 100%. You know, it's, it's, it's been it sort used of... used to be my weekend conversation. Yeah, though, I mean, I it's... I understand how... Yeah. yeah. It wasn't special to the customer. Mm-hmm. If you look at the way John Lewis reinvented mm-hmm. itself, for instance. So I think first and foremost, with, with the high street, I think you've got to really, retailers that go on the high street have to think about their relevance. And then secondly, you've got to think about driving traffic to that. So, you know, with the case of Box Park, that's about creating footfall, isn't it? So yeah. I think for the high street to survive mm-hmm. in the future, you've got to be savvy about tra- traffic and how you create that traffic. And that doesn't mean that it has to be purely social media or online, because actually, I think that you can track back the success of some major technology, the greatest technology businesses that are out there, businesses like um, Apple, from the minute that they had that store. Because actually you can create fantastic traffic from that store, the the customer service that you get in Apple. You know, the fact that you can have these sort of genius bar appointments to educate the customer. But it didn't evaluate success based upon just the tills ringing. They based success based upon how we engage with our customer and where the sale actually happened, whether it was online and their own stores, where it was in John Lewis, where it was in that store, it doesn't matter. Mm. You create great mm. customer engagement, you create great mm. footfall. So I personally believe there is a future for our high street. Mm. Is that future going to be a different future? Yes. It's going to be clearly more an omni-channel mm-hmm. world where you're going to have offline mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and online. And I think just simply, we've got to go back to the basics of retail. Mm. And really, every time you set something up on, in, a, in a physical store or even an online store, go back to those basics. What's my content? What's my relevance? How am I going to create traffic to it? And ultimately, how am I going to do conversion? 
Absolutely. Hear, hear. Yes. I, I want to carry on that conversation, but I just want to take a little diver, only because we're nearly also at lunchtime. I can smell the smells coming from all the gorgeous shops downstairs. But I notice your direction is moving towards this food and drink in more, this food element. My favourite shows on Netflix at the moment are Chef's Table and the newer David Gelb Street Food series, which That's I amazing, saw isn't it? you were tweeting oh. about too. Not only do I love the beauty of food, but the entrepreneurship behind the stories oh. it's unbelievable the j5 episode the 73 year old michelin starred chef street vendor she's amazing who cooks everything on a flaming wok yeah. i mean it's completely inspiring and casual dining on the high street is also suffering as much as really retail with closures such as jamie's restaurants and from my own experience you know i have two physical shops and one is all based around food and i know how difficult it is to build a brand in this sector how do you think our habits as, as consumers are changing in terms of eating and drinking out and how can small survive in this firstly i mean i believe that small is is, is, is beautiful so you know i I'm, I'm so glad you raised the example of the netflix street food series and any any budding food entrepreneur that wants to set up their own restaurant should 100% watch it 100% and, and actually any anyone. young young potential yeah. entrepreneur because what it, what it really reinforces is the power of, you know, if you create this wonderful product, if you create this wonderful dish. I mean, in the case of that 70-year-old Michelin star lady, I mean, she, she was getting up at four in the morning, every morning. I think, I think she was quoted as saying, I'm not ready to hand this business on yet to my children. <laughs> she was 70 years old, she's, you know, but that shows the passion yes. that you need to sort of really sort of survive, you know. In terms of the habits, I think it goes back to what I said before. So clearly, I think there's you know customers out there that, that want to have fantastic product. They increasingly want to have more independent product. We, we had a great brand join us in the early days of, of Box Park Shoreditch, a brand called Cook Daily. And it later on went on to do a collaboration with Wagamama and launched its own book, launched its own products. And, he, you know, he launched it from a, a single unit at, at, at Box Park. And why he was so great was firstly, he was one of the first sort of vegan chefs out there that was really promoting the concept of veganism. And at the same time, he was just, he just made fantastic sort of Thai and Lao inspired sort of vegan food. And he grew a whole brand off the back of that. So mm. don't be put off by the fact that you've seen sort of big restaurant failures like like Jamie's you know um, and that's that I think that's largely driven from the fact that they've maybe lost touch with their sort of independent roots you know I'm, I'm, I'm a I'm a great lover Jamie I think what he does and what he tries to achieve is fantastic I think he gets Absolutely. knocked far too much for it and I hate to see it because I think especially what he tried to do with school dinners As was fantastic yeah. you know but yeah. I think sometimes you can grow too quickly and as a result of that you lose that special feeling but can can young entrepreneurs set up fantastic new food businesses yes they can go watch that street food program i mean i mean an example of that as well was i think that the michelin star chef from singapore hawker chan he came to king's cross he was brought brought over by singapore airlines and they had a thousand people waiting every day to oh, get his bowl of ramen, you know, that. That yeah, is it was incredible. incredible. Yeah. We touched there on, you know, go for it, do it. 
it's all great and you know I want to talk to about Box Park and how you make it really accessible for small businesses to come in here and how you've conducted yourself in terms of terms and all of those sorts of things but it's interesting at Holly & Co we change our theme for instance every single month in the shop and it's not because I'm going to have more shops this is a concept store where I'm trying to help people understand that you know if you have the same product day in day out in your shop yeah that's yes people get bored they'll walk past you whereas we now give people at least 12 reasons why to walk in and we also this month for instance have the theme vote with your money and we're seeing how Britain is now becoming this nation of clone towns rather than hometowns with chains basically taking over shops staying empty the record number of closed shops every day I couldn't believe is 16 shops shut every single day so we're trying to encourage a that idea of content and how retail should be exciting but also trying to encourage people always one of Holly and Co's missions is cast the vote with your money support those independents whether it's a restaurant a cinema a bar every time you spend your money you're casting a vote for the kind of world that you want to live in when you think about shopkeepers and that sort of idea that we believe you and I both believe that there is an absolutely colorful option for the high street tell me what you see for our communities in the actual towns it's a great question you know i'm really nervous about our future communities when you get a situation that you've got the death of the so-called high street okay and we're not really starting to think about the knock-on effect of that in terms of the community building that happens on the high street or you know through shopping or through creating a sense of a center of a town and a few years ago i went to ipswich and i was brought up there by the then mp of ipswich uh, ben gummer and he brought me around and said look roger we've got some issues with retailing here can you just recommend what you would do and i think they had three failed shopping centres in in the town and they had people literally travelling from Ipswich to go to Kings Lynn and as a result of that there was a a loss of a sense of community and I think in in London particularly you know you know we've got a real issue with with knife crime and I, I think we really need to start thinking about what kind of future we really want to create and what is the impact if we don't have stores, if we don't have the sense of community, if we don't have people coming together, if our kids don't have places to go, if our kids define everything that they see based upon this iPad or this phone that they see in front of them. So I, I don't see this as just an, a retailing issue. Mm-hmm. I see this as a community-wide issue. And you know, our politicians need to stop sitting on the fence but take serious action. You know, if you really look at the, I don't want to get too political, but if you really look at, you know, the, what is the root cause of knife crime? The root cause of knife crime was the, the lack of investment in social services and the removal of youth clubs. You know, I worked in a youth club when I was young. I used to take care of, you know, I used to do play school and take care of kids who didn't have homes to go to because their mums were working, understandably, and we gave them a sense of place, a secure place. But what you're seeing now increasingly is you're seeing that kids are out on, you know, hanging out and their their peers are drug dealers and they, they're, they're easy prey for these guys. And we've, we've got to widen this up to, mm. to the high street, you know, and we've got to stop sitting in the fence when it comes to business rates. Clearly, business rates are not fit for purpose 
in, in the modern day world. You cannot have a situation that you've got guys on the internet that don't have the same amount of business rates and they're trying to compete with the high street, which have got, you know, major business rates. So a complete overhaul of business rates needs to happen and it doesn't need to happen at some future time. We don't need another study of it. We don't need X amount of high streets to fall before we have them. We need to do something now or we're going to have a major problem on our hand. And it isn't about retailers going bust. It's going to be about the, 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 the community, the community and the impact on the community. And, you know, I'm sick and tired of talking to, you know, ministers about, you know, this happening. We really need to resolve these issues now. And you have three things, don't you, that you feel that the government could do to help independence. One you've mentioned, which is these business rates. And as you said, this absolute well, craziness, actually. Um, you also talk about retailers and real estate owners needing to come together. Yeah, if you look at the way, the way real estate is sort of worked and the way landlords are worked, is that they're, they're looking at their valuation of their businesses and their valuation of their businesses. When it comes to retail developments, they're going to say, right, what is the strength for covenant? How long is my lease? And if I get a long lease with a really strong strength for covenant, you know, my business is more valuable. That's just crazy, you know. No wonder some of these guys are trading below their asset value. They need to completely rewrite the way they do their business. And they need to realise that ultimately they're in the footfall business mm -hmm. and really have an understanding of the customer. And I recently talked at a Property Week talk about the future of a high street. And I was saying that you need to have more creativity in your businesses. You need to promote more people in your businesses that talk about the customer experience, that talk about the content that you've got in your business. The content in Box Park is the type of tenants that we have. That's number one, the type of food. Mm. But also we're obsessed with footfall. We put on over 300 events a year in, in Box Parks and we do that. We don't make any money from any of these events. We do that because it's our mm -hmm. responsibility to create footfall. So you've got to promote guys within your organisations that are there that are going to champion footfall. And then finally, yes, have business guys that take care of the conversion, the business aspect. But don't start the other way around. Don't start with the balance sheet dictates what the content is. And also your other is shorter leases, you know, yeah. required. You know, here, t talk to me about what you do here. We just don't believe in long leases. You know, what we really believe in is as long as that you're creating footfall, you're always going to have a waiting list. So at, at Box Park Shoreditch, for instance, we're able to have one week, one month, three months or 12 months. I don't think we've got anyone signed up for greater than 12 months. Why? We've always got a waiting list of people to come in. Mm is our primary decision maker when we're choosing a tenant there, their, their balance sheet. I don't think I've looked at a single balance sheet of a customer. I'm sure our accounts department is, but I certainly don't make my decision about the strength of their balance sheet. I look at the strength of their content, you know, and that's... Because that's your content. That's my content. And, and this is not revolutionary. You know, uh, if you look back at what happened to the high street like 20 years ago, you had people like River Island, sort of Bernard Lewis. He revolutionised the high street. Because what he actually did is he suddenly promoted merchandisers and product people to become his managing director. It wasn't just about businessmen, you know, straightforward accountants running businesses, yeah. but it was people that had a feel for the customer. Well, we also need to do that amongst retail developments. We need to start thinking about that content, start thinking about, you know, the, the quality of the product that we've got in there. And to be frank with you, covenants, 
you know, we've had this recent situation with, with Philip Green. I'll, I'll be frank out there. I 100% don't agree with the concept of hiding behind a CVA because a CVA is a, it's a creditor's voluntary arrangement and basically you're putting your debt on to the landlord or to the other creditors. And if we have that situation that effectively we've got every retailer you know, entering into CVAs, you know, it's, it's another word for an administration. You're just going to have a complete breakdown of the entire system. And actually, everyone needs to take collective responsibility for what they do. Mm -hmm. And that includes if sometimes you've got businesses that are not sustainable, those businesses need to be run by different people. In some cases, unfortunately, those businesses need to be closing. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there is so much going on that's going wrong. And in a way, you know, what you're proving is through Box Park that, you know, lots of the entrepreneurs that we talked to, Henry Dimbleby from Leon, roll up your sleeves and do what the government's not doing. And when we talk about towns, it's been proven that towns with a thriving high street or strong sense of community are basically the happiest towns. If you look at things such as Totnes or Harrogate with these independent high streets, it's good for everybody and so really why I say that we're asleep at the wheel and we, we're going to pay a price and yeah. we are looking at it knife crime as you said and the the depression rates are bad young don't yeah. get me talking about Brexit you know well you know <laughs> I, I feel like you and I have to come together somehow or there has yeah. to be a sort of movement because I don't hear anybody else trying to sort out the high street or communities I don't I, don't, I only hear one word for the last you know two and a half years and so it's, it is amazing. I just don't feel that we've got anybody in any place that's qualified to do it as much as people who have got the battle scars and the war scars of actually what it means to connect with people, to drive traffic. How do you convert in this world that we've, we've turned into? We, we, we're a bit different place to where we were 30 years ago. And we need to react quickly, you know. Yes. I mean, I'm saying don't talk about Brexit, but I'm going to talk about Brexit just really, really quickly because I think it's so relevant to everyone out there, you know. You know, I, I, I came from a working class background, you know, when my mum came back here from Malaysia, you know, after, you know, separating from my dad. You know, we, we, we grew up in a council estate. I was very much a sort of Thatcher's child. And, you know, I did see the fundamental change that happened within Britain and encouraging entrepreneurism. And yes, there is some things she did wrong, you know, looking at like everything that happened with the coal miners and everything. And I see that point of view, but also she did revolutionize the, the concept of actually Britain becoming an entrepreneurial nation. And, and what's really, really sad for me now is looking at politicians like Boris Johnson, like Michael Gove, like Liam Fox, who, who I personally, Andrew Ledson, who I personally believe their only interest is their self-interest. And you know what? I, I've dealt with, you know, over a dozen countries. I've imported goods, you know, I've sold goods in the UK. I've created most of my wealth for the UK economy in terms of jobs that we created. And the person that's going to pay the price for Brexit is going to be the working class. They've been sold a pack of lies because you cannot suddenly replace our biggest trading partner, Europe, overnight. You're going to have 10 years of major recession, depression mm. happening within Britain. We're not going to re replace mm. those jobs overnight. If you are making minis in the Midland and half your parts come from Europe and suddenly you've got 
import tax on that. Never mind the fact you're exporting half of it back to Europe. Sorry, BMW is going to pick up Mini and it's going to go to Germany. And that's not going to just touch the manufacturing industry. That's going to touch every person out there. You know, Britain was the largest, the fastest growing economy before we went into Brexit. And you know what? I don't blame people for voting on Brexit. They were just sold a bunch of lies mm. with saving £350 million a week. But now we're on the edge of the cliff. Now, and we've been told by politicians, go on, just jump off that cliff. You'll be fine. Please wake up, everyone. This will be catastrophic for business across the board. And there's no other way of saying, I think you've got our own you know, Chancellor saying it, the, the, the catastrophic effect of Brexit on jobs for this economy. And it's not too late to turn back, you know, and our politicians, please stop playing a game. You know, I'm sick and tired of seeing this game. Actually start telling the truth. It's an amazing you know, thing, isn't it? I look at crazy. I look at the TV screen, we have it on in the morning. My son sits there eating his breakfast and there is no way I or he would ever want to go into politics. Now, yeah, maybe no. about 20 years ago, I might have been excited if I was the same person 20 years ago. Because actually, I, I do want to help people. I want to change things for the po positive. And surely the, we would be uh, not ideal candidates, but and we're entrepreneurs. No, yeah, yeah. But the point is, is that that is what's happening. Like now we have a world where this is not a desirable thing to go into because who is taking accountability now for the future of our country? And, I, and, and it really worries me because people are just tuning out now. And hence why some of the things we've spoken about today are not being tackled. You know, knife crime, teenage depression, the high street, community. Moving on just finally to something, just going back up a bit here, back up to our, um, positive. our positive, inspiring futures. I'd love to hear about the exciting future of Box Park. Is it something that you would like to see in every town? I recently read the reviving of the Brighton Victorian Arches as something that you're planning to tackle next. Tell me about that. I mean, Brighton's my hometown, and I'm, I'm a great, I think there was a famous uh, Greek saying, which is the, the, the Phoebic Oath, which is I should leave my city no less but better, you know. And I've always, I think if you're just inspired by money alone, you're a very shallow person. And I've always been inspired by trying to create a better city in Brighton. And unfortunately, I've seen a lot of major regeneration happen up and down the country, and particularly in places like Liverpool and Manchester. And with Brighton, I haven't really seen the same sense of regeneration. It's almost been, a, I think it's really been caught up in politics. The reality is, is there's three major political parties there, the, the Greens, which is fantastic, you know, the Conservatives and Labour and they're all fighting with each other, never agreeing on anything. And as a result of that, we don't have major regeneration. And then we were given the opportunity to regenerate our own town and regenerate 850 metres of fantastic Victorian arches and really create a fantastic seafront and put Brighton back on the map as one of the best international beachfront destinations. I would love the opportunity of doing that. And to be frank with you, you know, there's not much money in it because it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's going to need some public funding to make it workable because the scheme that we put forward, I think it's 500,000 square foot of which 300,000 square foot of that is going to be public realm spacing, including creating a new green park. But I'll be frank, I don't think it's likely to happen. I think it's going to get caught up in politics. You know, and that's what happens. 
And yet there is someone who is willing to put their hat in and say, I will do this for all the gosh stress and you know, endless sleepless nights that you would then have to tolerate, but you're willing to do it. And yet it's not going to be probably taken up. You know, I would love to do it. And, you know, I, I, to be frank with you, the, the, you know, as I said before, I don't think from a financial perspective, it's the smartest thing for me to do. But I would just love to do it from a personal perspective, yeah. But, I mean, you know, moving back to, to, to the, what we're going to do with Box Park, because I think we're now talking about being realistic. So our aim with Box Parks, we've got three Box Parks at the moment, and our aim is to roll out uh, another nine Box Parks, to have 12 in total. And at that stage, I'm going to sort of walk, in, walk off onto the sunset, you know, because... You know, I don't really want to roll. I don't have a cookie cutter approach and mm -hmm. have like 80 box parts in the UK. I just see it as about 12, and then we would have we'd have a very nice and tidy, profitable business, and then somebody else can then grow it internationally. Mm -hmm. You know, and and maybe but the some more in the UK. Is set sale. But the, the concept, my my the bit that I love is starting a concept, and I'm already working on a new version of box part, which I hope is going to be box part 4.0 that's going to bring it to another level and you know it will probably be somebody else my team and, and you know, new investors that will bring it on to the next level and, and that's that's my vision for it you know and then I want to retire and focus on other things you know so tell me what's um if this whole thing has just been a roller coaster and it's sort of the ups and downs what's been one of your biggest lows while running your business I mean th th there's lows always you know, yes. the, the idea you don't that, get to do this you know, without having yeah, some you know, epic you know, I, was, I was up last night with you know low you know so it's it's your attitude towards low that that with the benefit of time that you realize actually when you have problems they're they're creative opportunities to reinvent yourself or reinvent your business and through those lows you can create sort of great things but if you're talking talk to me about a specific low it was it was a really big low it was you know, when I first sort of set up Box Fresh in the sort of early 90s, I think I convinced my parents to lend me £100,000, which was a lot of money to them. I think actually they, they guaranteed a loan. And, and we ended up, after the first five years of business, our first business, went into administration. And I had to, you know, personally pay back my, my dad, you know, or my, my family that money. And what that led to was was actually this sense of ever, this fear of ever failing again. I'm never, ever going to go back there. Actually, that painful experience has driven all my successes because I will never fail again. And, and it, it, you can never blame anyone else. You've got to blame yourself. You've got to look at what you can do to stop that from happening. So my biggest low was going into administration, and, but, but learning from that, from that administration has probably led to our biggest high, you yeah. know. As you said, connecting those dots. And conversely, your greatest high? As biggest lows, there's, there's, there's loads of you know, highs. There's constant highs. So I think you know, building Boxfresh from a market store, obviously, and then building it up to a significant business over that 18-year period was incredible. Launching Boxfresh in the States, selling Boxfresh, and actually maybe becoming secure financially secure was incredible certainly for my family and and then launching box park shoreditch and and definitely you know my mum seeing that before she passed away 
you know, as I wrote this today, it brought, you know, a tear to my eye, just remembering my mum mm. being there on that day and how proud she was of me. It was just, mm. it was an incredible feeling. So, mm. you know, that was an amazing high for me. And then recently we created an, an employee share scheme, which was fantastic for me. So I gave 10% of my shares away to my staff and, it, and it's hopefully going to lead to a life-changing event for them. But I'm, I'm a great believer in your your greatest high was your latest high. So my latest high was being here, you know, on Tuesday night, watching Fleetwood Mac fans at Box Park Wembley. We had a, a dream to reinvent the, the concept of having, uh, of creating the, the, the greatest fan zone that's ever been created and seeing, you know, 5,000 fans enjoying Box Park uh, Wembley on that day was just fantastic for me because yeah. it was just, a vision. No one. I wasn't really looking at anyone else. I just thought, well, people want to create a great, have a great fan experience, yeah. and they want and it to be an all-day vision. And then and seeing you look at it, five thousand people enjoying it. it. Well, it can't be get get better. Yeah, it was amazing. And something else I I ask my guests is, who would you personally recommend for me to interview on this podcast that's inspired you? It, it's weird. So I'm I'm going to be a bit naughty and say two because yeah, of they're they're you they're. They're, they're equal. You know, the two people that personally inspired me, one has been Tom Bloxon, who I've known from my days of having a, a, a store in Affleck's Palace, and he, he used to sell posters in Affleck's Palace. He built up a, an incredible development business called Urban Splash, and I think they were one of the pioneers that completely regenerated the Northern Quarter in Manchester. He went on to redeveloping places like Sheffield, places like Plymouth, and and his vision in terms of embracing design and, and creating fantastic regeneration and believing in the north of England, believing in places like Manchester and Liverpool and Sheffield where no one else believed, not following a mm. cookie-cutter approach of just coming down south, which, which I, I thought was amazing. So, you know, Tom... You know, pardon the pun, hats off to you because he always, always wears a hat. You know, he's, <laughs> he's been a great inspiration in terms of, you know, what he's achieved. And then lately it's also been David Partridge, who's, who's CEO of Argent. And I think the regeneration of King's Cross has been inspiring. And, and it, it showed, you know, and he's come from a creative background. He's, he's, he's an ex-architect and he's the CEO of Arjun and everyone in development is looking at that and he's brought a sense of architectural flair of bringing some incre incredible architects to King's Cross but also approaching the concept of placemaking differently he brought St. Martin's to King's Cross who would have done that previously yes. that was such a brave yes. move but it wasn't you yeah, know it wasn't something totally. that was done before you know. Yeah, how, yes, you're so right. So both of them for me. Well, they sound terms, pretty yeah. great. They sound pretty great. Thank you so much, Roger, for giving me such incredible insight into your business and your advice on how to be successful. In this very, very difficult period of time, we've, we've touched on a couple of points that are really, really happening. And as we said, you know, sometimes stories do cover some of the realities that aren't so great right now. But, you know, you are a brilliant retailer. You've got this creative brain and you're visionary. And it's just been a real honor. I'm going to visit many more box parts in the future, I can see. And we need people like you, as I said, rolling up your sleeves and 
bloody doing the stuff that needs to get done and it's just been fantastic and independent support you know I haven't met many people on this podcast that has a sort of a sort of an aligned mission to sort of help the small guys help society help communities and so if ever you want to team up on anything I'm 100%. I would 100% love to do it and cause some you know yeah you know rattle and, and, some cages and hats off to you Holly as well Thank you know, because you. you don't need to go out there and 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 champion independence. You know, you're you're independently wealthy from your your existing business, but you're doing that for a sense of cause, and I really admire that. And, oh, you know, that's very kind of you. you. Well, thank you. So it's that time now where I don't know what you're going to say, but I've asked you to write a letter to your younger self. So there's no pressure, but I cannot wait to hear what you've said and thank you for sharing a part of your soul with us today thank you roger thank you wow um roger phew it's it's been one hell of a journey um you you started off as an insecure young man building box fresh from a market store into a multi-million pound business selling internationally you traveled the world You worked and met some great people along the way. You then had a vision to create a new high street, a place where people could feel special and buy independent brands and hang out in an urban park. Box Park Shoreditch was born, and then you launched Box Park Croydon and Box Park Wembley. It's been a fantastic journey, but it's now time to sit back and enjoy the journey. Love life. Life is not about getting from A to B as quick as possible. Life is about enjoying the journey. Stay young and believe it's never too late to change. Continually grow emotionally, mentally, physically and spiritually and strive to be a better person. Show up peaceful every day feeling love for who you are, not what you have achieved. Spend quality time with the people you love and care for. Be a great husband, dad, friend and employer. Define success by the quality of your relationships. Listen to your children and try and coach, not tell them. Empower and love your wife. She's the best thing that ever happened to you. Become a strong, compassionate leader, visionary and motivating. Deeply care about your team. Give control easily and by giving control, gain your freedom. Become a great listener and have time for others. Have fun and love home and work environments. Celebrate success. We create great things that make a difference to the people and the world. By trusting your feelings and getting things done, you can build great developments which will help regenerate areas and change places for the better. Live in the moment. Be happy and centred every day. Squeeze the joy out of life. Life is beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. You know, I I didn't know you before today. I mean, I knew of you and knew what you were building. But quite frankly, just the person I'm looking at is just so centred and 
and and connected and connected to what we need to do because it feels like you're connected to yourself as well and and to be able to share that with those listening I can't tell you how much that will help them and honestly it's just a privilege to meet you really so thank you so much for being so kind with your words thank you for inviting us thank you Thanks, NatWest, again for sponsoring this podcast. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering people in business. That's why they developed the NatWest Business Hub. It's full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals. Go to natwestbusinesshub.com to get started. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. I want as many people as possible to believe that they can build a business doing what they love. So could I ask a favour? If you like what you're listening to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come then bring them